0: The Lord. That was beautiful. Deck huh? the halls with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly. Fa la 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 done. Don we now our gay apparel. La 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 Hey the engine. tie carol. Fa la 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 la. Take it, Russ. Fa Dad, can you explain again what we're doing? Sure, Russ. We're kicking off our fun, old-fashioned family Christmas by heading out into the country in the old front-wheel drive sleigh to embrace the frosty majesty of the winter landscape and select that most important of Christmas symbols. We're not driving all the way out here so you can get one of those stupid ties with the Santa Clauses on it, are we, Dad? No, I have one of those at home. What we're looking for today is the Griswold family Christmas tree. Dad! they invent Christmas tree lots so people wouldn't have to drive all the way out to nowhere and waste a whole Saturday? They invented them, Russ, because people forgot how to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas and are satisfied with scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special meaning. (sighs) My toes are numb. You see, kids, this is what our forefathers did. I can't feel my leg. They walked out into the woods, they picked out that special tree, and they cut it down with their bare hands. Mom, I can't feel my hips. Clark? Yes, honey? Audrey's frozen from the waist down. That's all part of the experience, honey. There it is. Griswold family Christmas tree. Isn't it a little big? It's not big. It's just full. Dad, that thing wouldn't fit in our yard. Not going in our yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. Look at it. Really, it's beautiful, Clark. Something else, huh, Russ? Yeah, Dad. Isn't it beautiful, Audrey? She'll see it later, honey. Her eyes are frozen. Most enduring traditions of the season are best enjoyed in the warm embrace of kith and kin. The three are the symbol of the spirit of the Grithwald family Christmas. Dad, did you bring a saw? come on now. Yeah. So widely seen, if you look at the, I don't know who the movie experts are out there, but they, you know, when they're making their top, you know, lists of like the greatest Christmas movies of all time, uh, Christmas Vacation somehow makes the list. It's, uh, it's up there. It's like, a, you know, White Christmas and It's a Wonderful Life. And Charlie Bound Christmas, and then Christmas Vacation somehow got, gets in there. And uh, and while listen, I I think it's a great movie, and I would just say this, just for clarity, it's not a pastoral endorsement of that, right? If if you watch the unedited version, it's gonna you're gonna find it being a little bit crass, just like basically everything else that comes out of Hollywood. But um, uh, it is uh, endearing to people because of one reason. It's got a. Man who is on a desperate quest to experience he'll do whatever it takes to experience the spirit of Christmas and to get his family to all have it and to experience it and for that to be the pursuit. And so he's going after he's going for gold in that. And I think we can all, in some way, even identify with the value that we have for this season being the spirit of Christmas. I don't know if you've ever even said that phrase before, spirit of Christmas. But when we talk about that, there's some question about like, well, well, what is the spirit of Christmas? You might even have like Christmas cards that say that or inviting people into the season or the spirit of Christmas, but what does that actually even mean? You can do a search. I certainly did a search on the internet, which can be dangerous, but you, I did a search just trying to ask the question, okay, well... Well, what does the world actually think the spirit of Christmas is? And you'll hear a ton of different ideas about what the spirit of Christmas is. Um, when, uh, but there was actually one place in which they think kind of the beginning of the spirit of Christmas came. And speaking ironically of movies and, and stories, a lot of people actually believe the concept came out of the this spirit of Christmas, came from this extension of Charles Dickens' classic A Christmas Carol. In which, of course, uh, the you know the story about Ebenezer Scrooge, who uh, is you know against all of the things. It's the spirit of Christmas is effectively the opposite of the bah humbug, so to speak, attitude towards life, uh, and so it's centered on that that character and the transformation he goes through by being accosted by three spirits. I actually I think in the story it says ghosts, but three spirits, and so it's this picture. Of like what comes when these spirits come to do a work of transformation. You can look all around. I actually ran into a couple of different blogs, and there was like just a a random mom who's a blogger, and she asked her daughter, uh, "Well, what do you think the spirit of Christmas is?" And so her daughter, young daughter, just answered. Some questions, she, and so she. this is what the daughter said. The daughter said that Christmas spirit is about giving to other people more than to yourself, which I thought is enlightened. Christmas spirit is being jolly and remembering all the things to be jolly for. Um, the daughter said that the Christmas spirit is about getting excited and having belief and magic and faith. And the Christmas spirit is about having everybody available in your family together, except if it is a really big outdoor dog. And then, um, and then she said, "The spirit, the Christmas spirit, means even when you don't get what you want, you're still grateful for what you did get." But she actually added, "I don't think that I've, that has ever happened to me. But if you don't get what you want, don't start yelling at the person as they tried their best." So um, the mom, this mom kind of blogger, she. She just summarized and said the themes that are underlying all of her statements are gratitude and caring for one another and taking time to be present with one another and giving of ourselves, expecting and believing and receiving magic. Listen, I'm, I am, I, I'm the first person, I love Christmas season. I love the celebrations. I love the decorations. We do it here. We've decorated here. Believe in generosity and all of those things wholeheartedly, putting up lights at the house and doing all the things. I've got a playlist on my phone that my kids will tell you is woefully outdated uh, of all the Christmas music that I grew up with and love. Um, and it's, uh, we do all of those things because we desire to experience something. For a month... We want to have something happen in our hearts. And we value it and we get ready for it and we prepare for it and we create parties around it. We do all kinds of extra things so that we can obtain and experience this spirit of Christmas. In fact, I think a lot of people lament that we experience this kind of once a year But then after that, it kind of goes out the window a little bit. In fact, if you actually read the Charles Dickens story, Ebenezer Scrooge himself says, I'll honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. The question is, is that even possible? I mean, what would it be like if we could actually, what we're going after or what we long to experience through the Christmas season was something that was actually broader than just a 30-day window, a 25-day window to experience all of those things that we love. And here's what I just want to do this morning. I want to try to suggest, and I think we're going to begin to see from Scripture, is that, that that reality is not unattainable. And I'd say this, not only is it not unattainable, It's actually God's plan, purpose, and will for our lives. We can have something more, and it doesn't have to just be in this season. Everything that we're longing for when we're talking about the spirit of Christmas is actually what we get when we have and know and experience the real spirit of Christmas. And I think what we're going to take time over the next few weeks is just to pour our hearts in and get into the Word of God to experience and see what the Spirit of God has to give to us. We're gonna to look today at the Christmas story. And when I say the Christmas story, I don't mean the one with the, the Red rider BB gun, although that's also a great Christmas story. But I'm gonna talk about that actual real Christmas story. And it's important for us to be able to see that as we look at the spirit of Christmas, that the more and more we look at the story, we're gonna find how central the spirit of God is to this story. You're in your Bibles there. We're gonna take a look at the gospel of Luke chapter one. I'm actually gonna just start at the end and then we're gonna work our way back. In Luke chapter one, verse 67, you're gonna hear about someone that says, and his father... Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, when it says his father, what's he talking about? He's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the his that he's referring to. And the father of John the Baptist is this man, Zechariah. Now listen, Zechariah is not a typical name that you're going to hear about in the Christmas story. It's not going to be one you're familiar with. We know about Mary. We know about Joseph. We know about wise men. We know about shepherds. But Zechariah is not the one that we hear often about. You're very, I don't think when we do kids pageants, you don't see those kinds of, you don't see his name come up. But he's absolutely very much a part of this Christmas story. And we tend to, I think, believe that his story is very similar to our story when we have a chance to actually look at it. It's worth taking a look at. Let me just set this up before we get a chance to get into it. Zechariah is a priest in Israel. And there. listen, understand, there are at this time lots of priests in Israel, first century Israel. First century yeah, Israel's got 12 tribes. One of those tribes, the Levites, they're the whole lot of them, they're all priests. And those priests, get divided into these groups that all have a wide variety of responsibilities, duties, and activities. And these divisions of priests rotated to serve at the temple, all right? Now, and, and, and in fact, you look back at verse eight, we don't, we'll go to it in a minute, but according to verse eight, uh, what happened is Zechariah's division was responsible for the temple at this moment or during this time. But what's actually even bigger than, than that is it gonna tell us in verse nine is that Zechariah was the one that was chosen to burn the incense at the altar in the temple of God. Now, maybe that does not sound like a big deal to you. You're probably gonna light up like more than 50 candles over the next month. But there's, uh, this is a huge, a massive weight of responsibility and honor. The altar of incense was located in the temple right next to the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant sits and where the presence of God resides. When I say Ark of the Covenant, as in like Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? This is the uh, a piece of furniture, if you will, that held the Ten Commandments. This is where the presence of God is residing. And only the high priest was able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And he could only do that at one time a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest would offer a sacrifice. For the entire nation on behalf of their sin to be cleansed. Holy of Holies is that place where God's presence is awesome. And actually it was so awesome that what they would do is they would tie bells around the ankle, around the feet of the high priest as he went into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. And the reason they did that is they could hear him continuing to move around because if and when he did anything wrong before the holiness of God, not in alignment with the beauty and the majesty and the purity of this God of the universe, that he would drop dead and they would no longer hear the jingle and they would have a rope tied around his leg to be able to pull him out of the holy of holies. It ought to just maybe for a moment send a shiver down your spine, this holy God we serve who is so radical in love and so radical in righteousness. There was this hunger to be with the presence of God, but it was held within behind this veil. In fact, the Holy of Holies had a massive thick veil between the rest of the temple and its place. And the altar of incense was the closest thing to the Holy of Holies that anyone could get outside of the high priest, the closest anyone could get to the presence of God. In fact, if you had this honor, you were considered highly favored by God, chosen by God, incredibly rare, like literally a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and Zechariah has been given this moment. And so in Luke chapter 1, you can just flip back to verse 10. We'll pick up the story. Luke chapter 1, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him, which is kind of the ancient way of like, he's working hard not to lose control of his bodily functions here, okay? Now listen, I've never seen an angel personally. <clears throat> never, <clears throat> never have. Um, but I know that angels are real because of God's word. I've spoken with people who have seen or have been visited, actually seen that, been visited by an angelic visitation. What I know from this and from Scripture is that angels are not cute little chubby babies with tiny wings. Okay, let me just say that. When you read the story of angels throughout the Scripture, they are massive, forebode. They are expressions of this glorious, beautiful God, and they come here this to do war against the enemies of God, and to stand on our behalf to see God's purposes accomplished in our lives, which thank you, Jesus, all right? But that's what's happening here, and Zechariah has just been accosted by one of the great angels of heaven. Verse 13 But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, earlier in the story in verse seven, we're going to find out Zechariah and Elizabeth are are unable to have children. She's barren. And my guess is they had given up on that prayer. They would prayed and prayed and prayed and asked. And it wasn't happening for them. And the angel tells Zechariah that his son is gonna be the one who's gonna come in the spirit of Elijah. And He's going to be this figure who prepares the way of the Lord, prepares the way for the Messiah to come. He's going to be the herald and the one who goes before. He's the forerunner who will step in and create the pathway for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. This is a huge reality. Any priest would know exactly what this angel was talking about. It had been prophesied hundreds of years before the onset of the coming of the Son of God. And how does Zechariah respond to this? Well, verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, I'll just confess. Some of you, if you read this, you're like, come on, man. I mean, how do you respond this way? You just had an angel show up. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but it feels like it'd be a little bit like clued in, like God's doing something here, so just go with it, bro. But no, he's like, we've been trying for years. I don't know if you, let me tell you something. What we can all identify with is Zechariah here. Because in one hand, you can go, hey, man, an angel's showing up here. I ought to believe. And at the same time, every one of us has been in that place where you're like, I don't really, I've, listen, I've seen God do amazing things, but I have, I'll just be the first to come. I have moments where it's hard to have faith or to believe at times. There's another part that where you can almost completely empathize with his struggle. I've, I've personally seen God do incredible things in my own life, I've seen God literally restore bodies. I've seen sick people healed. I've seen demons driven out of people with my own eyes. I have seen God move in supernatural and powerful and meaningful ways. I've I've literally, I've, had, I've known some people going like, if God could save that person, he could save anyone. In fact, one of those people that I know, I remember thinking, man, there's no way, it almost feels impossible for that person to come to any real meaningful saving faith in Jesus Christ. They feel so far off. Their heart's so rebellious. He's a pastor now. That's what God does. I've seen God do the miraculous and yet when the Lord wants to do something fresh, or if the Lord wants to speak a promise, I'd be the first to just confess. There are times where I'm like, God, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I see a way forward. It's the easiest thing in the world. I think it's actually the most human thing for us to all have moments or lapses of faith, even in the telling of the heart of the Father from this angel. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. I think we can all personally understand a little bit Zechariah's struggle here. And I think maybe it's one of the reasons that Luke is leading with this story. By the way, I just feel like also this is the testimony of almost every person in the scripture. Just not... Not totally there, not totally emotionally or spiritually ready for whatever God is doing, some even doubting whether or not God has the right person. And God's showing up here saying, Well, can you trust me? And so the angel says, Okay, well, we're going to go on a journey. Here's what, that's my version. Here's what he says in verse 19 The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, uh, this is the end of the year. This is an opportunity where you get to reflect and look back on the good things and the bad things. If you're in business or whatever, they do end of the year evaluations, and we can just take a step back and look at Zechariah here and just say, hey, man, your review is that overwhelmingly not, not great, not positive here, okay? You're, the, you're a priest, bro. If you can't believe, who, <laughs> where are we gonna go from here? He's given this opportunity to join God in faith, And hear this, in his weakness, let's just say it, he failed. Just fell short. I think even every one of us can, as we look at this passage, you might even go, well, or I don't know I do. Pastor, I've I've failed before. In fact, I'm I'm kind of amazed that I can speak right now. (laughs) I don't know if you ever felt that way, like, I think there are times in my own heart, I'm like, "How's the Lord allowed me to speak? Sometimes there's lack of faith that comes out of my mouth. I think actually everyone experiences weak moments of faith and doubt, just like Zechariah. We all do. You know, We all know we have moments where we just flat out miss it and we failed probably in our minds in ways that are maybe even harder or worse in the way that Zechariah himself has failed in this mo- moment. And yet this man's going to continue to step forward, unable to speak for the next nine months. And I'm assuming he made an adjustment. At some point he decided, you know, this is my new lot in life. Not going to be able to speak until the day he receives the spirit, spirit of Christmas. Luke chapter one, you can flip over to verse 15, or 59. We'll just go toward the end. It says, on the eighth day, so Luke 1:59, and on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. This is John the Baptist that now has been born, just like the angel said. They'd have to call him, and they would, have to call, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And in verse 67, we go back to our original text. The father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And actually the words that come out of his mouth are sung in cantatas uh, all over the world, all the time. The words have often been referred over the centuries as the Benedictus. And what's so amazing here is this man who wrestled with doubt and unbelief, even in the face of an angel, God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to meet you in weakness. And he's filled with the spirit, the real, if you will, spirit of Christmas. And what happens when he's filled with the spirit? He begins to receive, he receives strength where he was Weak. That's what the actual real spirit of Christmas says, right? The real spirit of Christmas gives strength where we're weak. That's what he does when he comes and visits and fills. In us. That's the amazing news is that this spirit of Christmas isn't this nebulous emotion we're chasing after over the course of a 25-day window. No, the spirit of Christmas is actually a person who comes to fill us with himself and to give us strength where we are weak. Hallelujah. To bring strength where we don't have it, to fill in the gaps, to overcome the brokenness, to pull us up out of the mire, to re-envision our hearts and our minds to be able to do, church, what we cannot do for ourselves. The spirit of Christmas isn't an emotion that we experience. It is a person who comes to give us his strength. It's unbelievable news. In John chapter 16, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to die. And he's going to be raised from the dead, and he's going to go home to heaven. Now, going back to heaven, I'm just going to be honest with you. If we had to pick, I'm just going to be gut level honest, if I had to pick between Jesus being here and going back to heaven, I would be like, Jesus, just stay Stay, don't go, be here and establish your kingdom where we can just follow you. It's 2023, we can get like video updates of what's happening in Jerusalem, it'd be great. It'd be all for it. If I were the one doing the plan, that's what I'd pick. And Jesus says, no, there's something better. There's actually something better that I wanna give to you. It's actually the greatest gift you and I could possibly receive over Christmas. John 16, verse seven, he says, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Hear that personally, let's hear that corporately. If I go, I'm going to send him to you. One of the purposes of the sacrifice of Jesus, one of the amazing benefits that God wanted to bestow or to give for every person that would trust in Jesus for life, for hope, and for forgiveness to believe in his death and his burial and resurrection as that you and I would be the recipients to receive the personal spirit of God, the counselor in our lives. If that's the gift that's being offered even to you and me right now in a fresh way, the Greek word is translated counselor or comforter is this word, paraclete. The Greek word is this combination of two words that actually mean to come alongside or to come together with. To come together with. Why? To give us strength. And Jesus knew exactly who you would be, He crafted you. Hear this He knows exactly, even right now, what you need. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what your struggle is. He knows exactly what you're facing, what are the challenges. He knows what you are celebrating right now in your life. He knows what you are dreading that's in front of you. This God of the universe knows it all, and it seems like it would just be better to have Jesus on the planet, but he said, no, it would be better for me to go because I have a gift for you, my presence alive in you right now so that whatever's going on in your world, you have a friend, you have a leader, you have a counselor, you have a comforter. You're not alone. And honestly, when you think about the truth of the scripture, I think the presence of God being here present is better than a video feed of what Jesus might be doing on the earth. Jesus is here. It's his spirit alive in everyone that's willing to call on him. We're not alone. You have the greatest gift you could possibly receive, the presence of God In you, with you, in me, with me. That's what he wants for us. Hear this is to live life with us and in us as we trust Jesus. Why? So that we could live not just, hear this, regular, ordinary, everyday lives live lives the way God originally designed them to go beyond normal lives that are strong despite even our own weaknesses. How amazing is that? I could make a laundry list of my weaknesses and yet I've been offered the spirit of God who is strong and can bring strength. On the Day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people when the Holy Spirit, the counselor, that promised spirit came to just come into the church. He had offered it and given it to his disciples, but he said, Wait. 3,000 people are convinced that they need Jesus. And they asked, what do we need? What do we need to be able to follow Jesus? What does it mean? As their heart was stirred and turned and they believed. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter just says, hear this, repent, meaning let your heart turn and come home. So repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the Forgiveness of your sins. And here, it what he says. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an unbelievable and amazing thing it is to be. It's an amazing thing to be able to become a follower of Jesus. But we're not just forgiven when we receive him. Hear this. We aren't just forgiven. We are forgiven. And that's an amazing thing to the glory of God. But Hear this. We're also given a gift. We get the paraclete, we get the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. That's what this whole thing is ultimately about. The point of the God coming incarnate to be with us is to fulfill what He said He would do in us. What did He say? Jesus said, I came for a reason. I came to give you fullness of life. I came that you'd have fullness of life. There's a, a thief, even I prayed it earlier, there's a thief that wants to come to steal and kill and destroy and to pull you down and take you apart and to come against the design and the beautiful plan of God. But I came that you would have life and you'd have life to the full. How do we have life and life to the full which every one of us in this room is desperate for? God said this way. my Holy Spirit in you wake up to my promises and where you are weak hear this, where you are weak He is strong you might even find yourself even this morning in a place of weakness or there's something you're wrestling with or a place where you feel like a failure or a place that you feel like you've fallen short God wants to be able to just say, I have promises for you, hear this, but it isn't gonna come on your own steam. The promises of God in our lives are not gonna be fulfilled by our own willpower, but by God's power moving in us. And that's the gift we get right now. God has so many promises. We just finished a whole series on the promises of God, but it isn't gonna be fulfilled on your steam and my steam. It's gonna come because the spirit of God is here we have this encouragement in Galatians chapter five, and I'll finish with this just to say, since we live by the spirit, let's just stay in step with the spirit. That's the invitation we get for this month. There's gonna be, you probably have, listen, a, a list of 10,000 things it feels like that are gonna happen over the next 25 days, 20 whatever, you what 22 days, it's, countdown is on. There's all kinds of things. Let me tell you, there is nothing more important for your life and my life right now Then for us to open our hearts to the counselor and the comforter to receive that gift and say, Lord, I want to step into the fullness of what it means to have your presence with me now and to see your goodness and to live life and life to the full. You guys stand. Let's finish. I want to just pray together. Some of you just are like, I need strength that I don't have. In fact, that's probably most of us. You might have something in your heart or in your mind or in your life where you're going, Look, I need strength that I do not have. Would you just ask now the comforter, the counselor to come and give you strength? I feel weak. I am weak, and I have need. I need you, Spirit of God. Would you just tell him that? Maybe you just feel like you've totally failed. Maybe like Zechariah, and you're just going like, I don't know. I don't know. Could God somehow come through in the midst of my failure? You just need to hear. God hasn't given up on you any more than He gave up on Zechariah and His failure. He's bringing you to fullness, just like He did Zechariah. Or you might even be here and you're like, you're talking about this spirit, but I don't know what that is. And I want to become more acquainted with the spirit of. Just ask him, would you invite him to start teaching and training your heart? Or you just might be here saying, oh listen, I just I want to stay in step with the Spirit. Over this next month I don't want to go bonkers with all the things. Of course there's stuff to do and parties and family and all the stuff and Christmas Eve services and all the things. But I just want to stay in step with you, Holy Spirit. Let me not take a step. Would you just ask him now? Let me not take a step without you this next month. You're the spirit of Christmas. You are the spirit of Christmas. You, and I want to stay with you. Thank you, God, that we can stay with you, that you sent your son to come and pay the price for us we could not pay for ourselves for him to go into the grave and be resurrected and for you to send your spirit to be with us. We thank you. And I pray we would walk with you these days. Would you remind us? We'll have a couple of prayer partners that just would love to pray with you. If there's any way we can partner with you for what God is doing at the end of our time here, I'm gonna pray our benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, who sent his spirit in accordance with the Father for us to have it. Love y'all. We'll see you next week. Prayer partners will be down front.